Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. I'm Andy DeLeo, better known as Cancer Geek, and I want to welcome everyone to the AHA podcast. I'm here with my colleague, AJ. AJ, how's it going? It's going fantastic. It's a beautifully rainy day. Reminds me of the Pacific Northwest today and having an indoor day and relaxed Friday with the family. That's awesome. That happens to be a a coincidence because we've got the honor of actually having a really amazing physician and friend that happens to come from the PAC Northwest and Dr. Joy Liu. Well, thanks. And thanks for the very generous introduction. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So for people who don't know who you are, can you just give us a quick little background as to what you do and how did you meet Andy? Sure. I uh, am a radiation oncologist practicing in rural northern Pacific California in Humboldt County. I've been here for about 15 years. Uh, August 1st was my 15 year anniversary here and uh, serve a catchment area of about 150 miles uh, around us, uh, serving about 130,000 people. I first met Andy DeLau at an American College of Radiology meeting and it was actually at a reception that I um, was introduced to him through um, one of our ACR leaders, uh, Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Hawk, and we hit it off right away and uh, pretty much stayed in touch ever since. I think that was 2017, I believe. Yeah, it was. For me, being a radiation oncologist, I growing up in, in radiation oncology, Dr. Lou's his passion, his outlook, his experience was really inspiring to me, it has been, and he's been a, a great friend, especially when I've got questions about certain things, I can reach out to, to him and he's a wonderful friend and, and mentor. Likewise. Thank you, Dr. Lou. For those that are just joining us, I want to remember, remind everyone that the AHA podcast is really about a journey to challenge the way that we think, the way that we talk, and the way that we go about implementing health and care across the world. AJ and I are here to share our experiences, but more importantly, it's about inviting other guests to this show like Dr. Liu, so we can really learn from them and their experience. And one of the questions that I have for you is, why did you decide to dedicate your life and go into the field of radiation oncology? Great question. It wasn't something I thought about when I applied to medical school. There's so much that we don't know when we're undergraduates wanting to become doctors. We have this vision of just wearing a white coat, carrying a stethoscope and taking care of patients. And it isn't until medical school that we learn about the multitude of specialties that are out there in the field of medicine. Because of my my upbringing in encountering people with various blood diseases and cancer, and even uh, some religious groups like Jehovah's Witnesses who could not accept blood transfusions, I was drawn to the field of hematology oncology. And it was during my inpatient rotation in HEMOC that the attending physician, who was also board certified in radiation oncology, took an interest in my um, future and talked me into doing a rotation in radiation oncology, which at the time I felt was fairly nebulous and super specialized. And at that time, my goal was to be able to take care of sick patients in resource limited settings. And I felt that radiation oncology being so heavily technology dependent was not that type of specialty. 
So I kept running into this attending at the school gym, and he kept asking me when he was going to see me in this department. So ultimately, I relented and arranged for a fourth-year rotation in radiation oncology, and that just underscores the fact that most medical students don't encounter this field during their medical education. It's typically an elective, very much like diagnostic radiology is. And so unless you had some special exposure, you're not going to really come across this field in your formal education. So when I did my fourth year rotation through radiation oncology, I was amazed, and this was in the late 90s, at the technology, the three-dimensional aspect of the field, even the use of CT-based planning, which was in its infancy at that time. IMRT and stereotactic treatments were, were considered investigational treatments at the time. And so this was all very fascinating and something I wasn't exposed to in my medical school experience. But I had already committed to applying for internal medicine and with the various subspecialties that seemed to offer a lot more options afterwards. So my attending, uh, Dr. Terry Herman at the time, uh, who was chair of radiation oncology at University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, it's now part of the, the MD Anderson system, had said, fine, go ahead and do a residency in internal medicine, take your boards, and then come back and do radiation oncology. There was a heavy push towards his trainees being internal medicine trained and having a strong clinical background. So that was the agreement. And after somewhat of a tortuous course, I ended up back in San Antonio, Texas to complete my training in radiation oncology, which I completed in 2007. Wow, that's a really interesting journey. Having been, you know, now I'm going to date myself, graduated in 99, you know, as a, a radiation therapist and then moving very quickly into physics, I can definitely relate to sort of that time within radiation oncology and how the field, you know, evolved over that period of time. From your perspective, what has been the most rewarding thing about going into to radiation oncology in, in that specialty? It's interesting. The most rewarding experiences have been my palliative cases that didn't necessarily involve the cutting edge technologies that I am very excited to work with. I think the cases that really give me satisfaction are the ones where patients present with spinal cord compression, you know, just they woke up not being able to walk. And imaging studies show a metastasis in the spine causing a cord compression. And because they are of advanced stage, they're not good surgical candidates. So I get called in any time of the day or at night. These are my emergencies. These are the moments that I get excited. And I come in and we establish the cancer diagnosis. Sometimes a patient already has a diagnosis of cancer. Sometimes it's a brand new presentation. But then we deliver palliative radiation to the spine and they either recover their ability to walk or they recover a significant amount of their function and restore their sensation. That black and white difference of the way they presented and the way they left my department and the reduction in pain and symptoms is probably the most satisfying part of this field. So as someone who isn't in radiation oncology every day, what is your process with where you're at that you're interacting with patients? How, how interactive are you? Because from some stories Andy's told me, some radiation oncologists never see a patient face to face, they just see the scans. Um, how involved are you in, in that process? 
very involved. And I would say that radiation oncology as a, especially within the house of radiology is one of the patient facing specialties. It's true, many diagnostic radiologists primarily work with imaging studies, but there are radiologists that do mammography, interventional radiology that do interact with patients. And I'd have to say radiation oncology is one of those uh, specialties where we have a clinic, just like other patient-facing specialties. We see patients for consultations, we do a physical exam, we counsel them, and we you know, discuss the options for decision-making and ultimately get their consent for treatment. And then once they're undergoing treatment, we see them on at least a weekly basis to see how they're tolerating their treatments. And after their treatments are done, we see them for follow-up to see how they're doing in the long-term. And although this is this may not be typical in many you know, metropolitan areas, I have patients I've been following for over 10 years in my longitudinal follow-up clinic who just like to be able to have somebody that was involved with their care still seeing them on a long-term basis. So Dr. Liu, I think one of the things that is very special about radiation oncology, especially within the overarching umbrella of radiology, is exactly the fact that you're patient-facing and you've got a clinic and you build that rapport and that connection with patients over the course of treatment, which leads me to my next question. As radiation oncology evolves, so, you know, we're going from a world of which, you know, maybe patients are coming in for 25, 30, even 40 fractions at a given point in time to a world where we're moving towards hypofractionation and less number of treatments per course of therapy. How do you see that impacting that dynamic in the relationship and the rapport that you build with patients? That's a great question. And you're right. When I first started practice here in my community, it was quite common for patients to be treated anywhere from six to eight and a half weeks, you know, for the typical breast and prostate, maybe lung cancer treatment. So the longer duration of treatment and the longer duration of me seeing them for their weekly visits allowed me to cultivate a longer span of relationships with them. And so every week we got to talk, address questions that uh, they may not have asked before, and even talk about subjects totally unrelated to their cancer, you know, such as hobbies they were working on, their garden, their grandchildren, things like these. And with the more ultra hypofractionated treatments we're seeing right now, the duration of treatment is shorter. So there's less opportunities to see them. And particularly for the stereotactic treatments, which involve treatments we can give within one week, there's definitely a much shorter time frame of and number of opportunities to speak with these patients. So we're not having those opportunities to, you know, really get to know our patients during their treatments. And so the shift has now been towards their long-term follow-up. So we still see them for follow-up and uh, the long-term follow-up beyond that. But it's not just the relationship with me that I'm seeing becoming truncated by these shorter treatments. It's also the relationships with the therapists, the front office staff. And so in the past, I had patients that got so used to coming in at their scheduled time 
that they got used to knowing everybody in the waiting room so that when they finished their treatments, they still came for a few more days just because they got so used to that schedule. And so we're seeing a little bit less of that now in that patients don't have that rolling into that schedule for a period of anywhere from one to two months like they used to. Do you think if you were to think about it from like the patient's perspective, is that a positive or a negative? That's a great question. It, I guess in a way it could potentially be a negative in terms of cultivating deeper patient relationships. But we're also mindful of the fact that many of our patients travel from far away. Even in my rural community hospital, I do have patients that live in the mountains that may have to travel two to three hours to get to their treatments. And some of them may have to stay at our hospital lodge in order to lift the burden of traveling back and forth. And so in a way, these shorter treatments have been a means to which these patients could get care that they otherwise would not get because of the the hardship of having to perhaps leave farm animals behind. They can't leave them for six to eight weeks. So these truncated treatments uh, or shortened treatments allow them to get the treatments they need and still be able to take care of their responsibilities at home. And so it, it's somewhat of a balance uh, between you know, enjoying the relationships we create with our patients, which obviously can have some you know, effect on their long-term outcome versus their actual ability to get the treatments. It, it, it is a tough situation. So one of the things that I'm super passionate about is the difference between healthcare and medicine and really refocusing on the art of medicine in this march towards personalization or precision medicine, but really caring for patients at an N of one. I think radiation oncology has always done that. But from your perspective, or maybe as an example, or, or in your own words, how do you apply the N of one concept into the work that you do on a daily basis? You know, the N of one means that every patient is unique and requires individualized attention and time to address their concerns and questions, which are, are going to be different uh, regardless of uh, whether the patient it fits into a mold in terms of a diagnosis. So I see a lot of stage one breast cancer patients, a lot of low risk prostate cancer patients for which the treatment is very straightforward, very well established, but people come in with different experiences, stories from other patients that may not have had good experiences with their cancer treatments. And of course, preconceived notions about radiation therapy. So each patient interaction is going to be different uh, because if they were the same, I'd just record a video and have them watch it and that would be the consult right there then have them uh, fill out the consent form. But that's not how every patient is and every patient is gonna have a different set of questions and concerns with every interaction. So even though maybe they end up having a very standardized treatment across the board, their interaction with me is gonna be different based on what their background is. And that's one effort I make in ensuring that their experience is personalized. The treatment in itself may be very standardized, but their experience with me is going to be very individualized. 
And Dr. Liu, because of this podcast, the intention is understanding those aha moments in our lives that really either either changes us for the better or shifts our focus. So when you were saying earlier about how, you know, you start education, you start going to medical school and you don't really know exactly where you're going to end up in the field. What was something that really struck you personally, maybe it was before school or after that drew you to not just radiation oncology, but moving into it? Because it sounds like having that personal touch and that, that ability to interact with the people is, is very key to you as a person. What was something that really sparked that for you? Yeah, the perception I had with uh, Dodgers, as I said before, was someone that interacted with patients, wore a white coat, had their stethoscope, and somehow made patients better. And of course, like I said, in medical school, you discovered that there were so many different ways you could do that. Uh, among the various specialties. And so I guess my aha moment in terms of choosing radiation oncology as an ultimate thing that I wanted to do, you know, occurred in my my fourth year of medical school, even though I had already committed to doing internal medicine. It just occurred to me that, wow, you know, in radiation oncology, I still can see a patient at their most vulnerable time with a cancer diagnosis, talk to them, understand their story, still lay my hands on them to perform a physical examination, just like a primary care physician would do, and then counsel them regarding treatments. And then during their treatments, address their fears and concerns, very much like a psychiatrist, in reassuring them that what they are receiving in terms of treatment is the right thing to do. And then seeing them for follow-up and showing your interest in how they're doing post-treatments and dealing with treatment-related side effects or long-term effects of cancer. And so when I saw that, that was something that I could do as a radiation oncologist, not to even mention the very cool technologies that we have access to. That was my, I guess, my my moment where I realized this is, this is something I'd really like to pursue, and I still feel that way today. I remember as a student, there were three reasons why I went into radiation oncology. One was you get the patient care and you really get to to know and understand and almost become a friend or an extended family member to to patients i i thought that was amazing the second is that each day is a new challenge whether it's positioning a patient or maybe there's a new diagnosis and it's very emotional like each day was just a a new set of challenges and the third one was someone was willing to pay me a really good salary to work with really cool equipment. <laughs> so so with that being said, Dr. Liu, from sort of a technological perspective, what's on the horizon that's exciting to you? Sounds great. Before I, 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 I answer that question, I did want to just touch base about your experience as a therapist, because the therapists really do cultivate daily relationships, interactions with with the patients, even more so than the radiation oncologist. And so I have to say that on a lot of my long-term follow-ups that I see for patients, often after the conclusion of our visit, they'll come out of the room and say, hey, I'd like to say hi to the therapist. And so I'll take them back to the, the vault and say, hey, guess who's here? And then just to see the, the joy in the therapist being able to see the patient they, they treated doing well is priceless. And obviously there's, uh, you know, this is, a lot of this was pre-COVID. There were a lot of hugs and, and laughs and, uh, you know, it was just a, a really joyful thing to see. 
And so I, I can definitely speak to the special relationship that uh, radiation therapists have with their patients. Yeah, I agree. I still have plenty of relationships from, I think the last time I had my hands on a patient, probably 12 years ago, but I still have a, a lot of those relationships. So I completely agree. So then to move on your question about what what's in the horizon, oh boy, there's, there's, there's so much. I recall my radiobiology lectures as a resident and the principles that we were taught about fractionation and you know what would lead to acute toxicities, what would lead to late toxicities. And so there was a certain dogma that we were indoctrinated with about certain rules of fractionation. And all of that is being overturned right now. We are seeing new data and new research showing the efficacy and safety of big doses per fraction given over a short period of time. You know, fractionation schedules that would make a lot of us very queasy if you went back in time and presented, you know, these proposals to radiation oncologists back, back then. It was like, no, you would never do that. But we're doing these ultra hypofractionated treatments now and we're finding that patients are actually doing okay. And it certainly increases the level of convenience and the cost of treatment. And so I'm excited to see what future research is gonna hold. You know, we've been seeing a lot of um, write-ups about the original Timmerman tables and, and how a lot of these have been updated to include this new data. So the way we do radiation oncology in terms of just dose fractionation is, is something that's changing right now and is, um, I foresee that there's gonna be a lot more variation, a lot more flexibility in the way we, we deliver radiation in, in the future. There's a lot of excitement on new ways of delivering image-guided radiation therapy. I started training in the days of port films where we aligned a bony anatomy and I saw the evolution into the use of cone beam CT into MR-guided Linux, and now, you know, we have biologically guided radiation therapy with PET Linux in the horizon. We have the ability to track uh, motion during treatment. And so I think the challenge will be to know when to appropriately use these novel technologies and when they truly do make a clinical difference. And that's a great point, Dr. Liu, is understanding how these come about, how to use them, how to interject them and change your practice. And as this technology evolves, how do you see that impacting or changing the personalization of care or N of one care that you offer today? Is that going to enhance it, make it better, potentially detract from it? So in terms of enhancing the individualized experience uh, with new technologies, I truly believe that one day we're going to see a time where we can see a patient, uh, look at their genomic profile and be able to tell them, well, hey, you know, we discovered that based on your genetic analysis and your, the genomics of your tumor, that you're going to respond really well to this particular dose fractionation and this modality of radiation therapy to be given with this particular targeted systemic therapy that will augment and enhance the synergism with radiation therapy. And this will give you a 95% cure rate. And on top of that, if you quit smoking and start walking 10 minutes a day after dinner, you will reduce your recurrence risk by 30%. We're certainly not there yet, but one day we're gonna be able to individualize 
patient care, as well as patient counseling based on somebody's genetic and genomic profile. And we're certainly not there today, but patients still crave and need the individualized interaction with a human physician to be able to impart this information to them, to answer their questions. When people come down with a cancer diagnosis, they don't want to be told by a computer or some remote machine that they have this diagnosis and that these are their options. They still need that human touch and that human interaction with, with a physician that can counsel them. And so that is an aspect of delivering care at the end of one that should never go away, no matter how advanced our technologies are, uh, whether they be in uh, genomics uh, or whether they be in image-guided radiation therapy and the ability to give doses much more accurately and with higher precision. With that being said, if you were not a radiation oncologist and you weren't doing the work that you're doing today, what would you do? A lot of that depends on when you would have asked me that question. If I was in high school versus college or, you know, after college, I think in high school, I wanted to go into music. If you asked me in college after having majored in biology, it would have been in some form of biological sciences, whether in research or uh, industry. But if you ask me now, I'd think about it and say I'd probably do something very similar to what you're doing, um, Andy. You know, something along the lines of patient advocacy, patient education, and, you know, helping people get what they need in this labyrinth, complex healthcare system that we have today. Perhaps it would be through some advocacy organization, through some uh, type of uh, uh, social media or more established media through radio or television. But uh, that's what I would gravitate to if you would ask me that question now. So Dr. Liu, we're, we're going to transition on the, the fun side of things and we're gonna go into the, the rapid fire. So the first question is coffee or tea? Coffee. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Water, do you prefer sparkling or flat? Flat. Surf or turf? Can I do both? <laughs> sure. Uh, when it comes to travel, do you prefer a plane or train? God, I, I, I'd have to say a uh, plane. Backpack or briefcase? Backpack. Communication, do you prefer phone or text? I guess I'd have to say phone. Do you prefer when you're taking notes or, or um, do you prefer typing or voice to text? Voice to text, if they get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast or music? Music. Sports car or truck? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one because my first vehicle was a truck, so I have a soft spot for that. But I'll go and say sports car because I've never really had one. Sounds good. Meetings, camera on or camera off? Camera on. Healthcare or medicine? Medicine. Radiation oncology or medical oncology? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I guess I have to say what I, what I do, so I'll say radiation oncology. Uh, that was a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Although I love my medical oncologists. They, they're, they're wonderful people. You know, they, they do a very important service for our community. Telehealth or exam room? Exam room. Physicians or doctor? Doctor. Physicians or artificial intelligence? Physician, because artificial intelligence still needs a physician. If you are what you eat, what are uh, you? Steak. I like it. 
if you were a leader of a nation, what would be the one rule that you would want to have? Everybody needs to take a vacation at least once a year. I like that. And then the last uh, one is, what is your favorite swear word? Damn. So, Dr. Liu, one of the other things is, is especially in, in terms of the, the swear word, is there's a physician pledge. I'm going to read it to you, and if you agree with what it says, we ask that you support it in the audio version, and we'll send you a copy shortly as well for you for you to read. The physician pledge says, I, Dr. Join Liu, hereby swear to abandon all fear, to question everything, to try something different, to trust my patients, to trust their care team, to recognize the etiology of healthcare begins and ends with the patient, to measure success by the patients I impact and not just the dollars and cents to honor the transformative healthcare leaders before me as I excel and to support those who follow as they ascend. I swear that I will never accept mediocrity as standard for success. I will not conform to the status quo and I will challenge the rules. I will ignore the instruction manual and I will disassemble the factor of healthcare as I set my bar higher and see medicine from a patient's perspective. When I am finished, no one will look at patients the same way again and the medical delivery will happen at the end of one as patients are treated as partners. Together, we will make medicine great again. That sounds great. Well, thank you, Dr. Liu. The whole point of the conversations that AJ and I are having with yourself and other physician leaders within the world of medicine is to really find these nuggets or these aha moments. So the very last question that we would like to ask of you is you're speaking to your team or if you're speaking to other radiation oncologists or radiologists or anyone else within the world of medicine, what is the one sort of nugget or piece of information that you would leave with them that they could wake up tomorrow, listen to this podcast, and they could think about how to implement in their own days to try and deliver care at the the end of one? Great question. You know, one thing I've learned in a small community practice is that you really get to know your patients well outside of the clinic. There's not much anonymity here. When I go out shopping or when I go to community events, I see a lot of my patients. And I think a lot of us who have gone through training have had somewhat of a boundary between us and patients in that our relationship only is within the confines of the clinic. And my advice is to open yourself up, let yourself know your patients outside of the clinic and on a Uh, more personal level. I have to say that this was underscored by an experience I had when I was having lunch uh, at a Thai restaurant by myself because I just happened to um, be off on a certain particular weekday. And I saw a former head and neck patient of mine who I was still following there also, who was got there about the same time and was dining by himself. I think in most scenarios, People may, may just go to their separate tables, but we looked at you and other and said, are you with anybody? No, well, let's eat together. And so we shared a uh, very useful moment. It was a, it was a perfect opportunity to see his function 
in consuming food after getting head and neck radiation and his ability to consume spicy food. We talked on a very social level, learned about some of his projects and things he was working on. I think just allowing yourself to let your guard down a little bit and be able to interface and interact with your patients in that manner outside the clinic will definitely bring lots of rewards to you in the practice of medicine and radiation oncology. Now, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. I want to remember those that are listening that on a daily basis, when we wake up, we've got the power to make care happen at the end of one.